0: Changing the Sales Game on webtalkradio.com. I am your host, Connie Whitman. As always, thanks for joining us today. So as you navigate changing your sales game, again, whatever that means to you in your sales career or in your business, I hope that my free gift is my communication style assessment. That link is in the show notes for you. You're going to get two reports after taking the assessment. Kind of important. The first report you get, it Really just spotlight your natural your superpowers of how people perceive your messaging. Flip side, you'll get a second report, which is on your lowest score. Probably a little more important because it's how people are perceiving your message that don't communicate like you. So when you're talking to a potential client or an existing client, are you, are you providing the messaging the way they need to receive it? Take that assessment. It's my gift to you. And they truly helps you navigate whatever change you're creating, again, in your sales game. Now, um, the other thing I want to start with today is my motivational quote. It sets the tone for the conversation with my guest today. And the quote is by Mark Hunter. And Mark says, it's not about having the right opportunity. It's about handling the opportunities right. So over the past four decades, right, that I've been in sales and and 20 years in business, opportunities are everywhere. And how I've responded to those opportunities resulted in success. And yeah, you know, here's the real deal, failure. It's all a learning experience, no matter what perspective we come come from. Now, my guest today provided me with some stats that I really feel compelled to share. So I'm going to read the quote from him that he shared with me. 55% of sellers are lacking basic skills, and in 2023, when budgets are tighter, you can't afford to have C players on your team. And while most would try to find new talent to replace their lower performers, quality talent talent is difficult to find today. And that's why revenue leaders have started to focus on developing their teams to turn their C players into B players. And here's the cool piece of it. They're B players into A players. Now, I found these stats and this uh, significant shift in thinking mind-blowing, and I see this all the time. We fire salespeople, hire new folks, and then fire, and it's like becomes this crazy revolving door. So who is my amazing guest who shared that cool info with me? His name is Matt Green. Now, Matt has led sales and operations for multiple multiple hyper-growth venture-backed tech companies. In these roles, he oversaw personal management, strategic planning, and sales leadership in multiple markets across the U.S. Matt now helps run the first and only scale-as-a-service platform for the country's most exciting B2B tech companies. Please help me welcome the amazing Matt to the show. So, Matt, thanks for being on.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Connie. I'm really honored to be here.
0: That stat, when I read it in your notes that you had sent me, I thought this is just a great way to start the show because I know I see it all the time, it's probably even more than 55%, right? But about 55% and then we churn and burn and we just repeat that same craziness. Um, so this show, I'm hoping will get some of the executives that are listening to the show, some of the salespeople who listen to the show to just change that frame of reference, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think one thing that is really important to call out is that 55% number that's coming from the sales reps themselves. So that's them raising their hand saying like, hey, I don't feel as though I'm trained or empowered enough in order to be successful in the role that I've been placed in. Yeah. Um, And yeah, uh, another thing that you mentioned that, that has traditionally been the the status quo is just churning and burning through sales reps, uh, just throwing more bodies, more numbers at the problem. Um, and, you know, fortunately, uh, we, we see, well, uh, although I hate the fact that, that this is how we got here, but the current economic climate has sort of forced a reckoning with a lot of companies that used to operate in that manner. Um, because they understand like, Hey, wow, not only does it really cop, if we have to be cost conscious, not only does it cost a hell of a lot more to churn people, uh, as far as staff is concerned, but it costs even more to try to find and replace them. With folks that we have the level of confidence are gonna be anywhere near as quality.
0: And and it's it right, Matt, it's crazy because we're sales, it's all about revenue generation, new business. We forget about retaining our existing clients sometimes too, which by the way, become a good lead source for us. So that's number one, right? We ignore what we leave, we leave money on the table so innocently because we're running ran, running after all of that new business. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is keep hiring, keep hiring. Oh, they're no good. Let me hire somebody else instead of pausing and saying, "Hey, listen, you're you're doing an okay job." Like what? we don 't goes back to the blind spot that I started with we don 't know what we don 't know, so isn 't it the leader 's response and I as a leader in in my industry and, and in training and, and sales and all of that it 's my responsibility to be able to help people understand what is that missing piece and what is the skill development that 's needed and I, I see this all the time as well and it's it 's frustrating because we have to stop the madness we worry about revenue generation, but what is it costing us so we could amplify revenue just by changing the process of the hiring and the training and all of those things. So yeah, I, you know, we're, we're speaking the same language here. Yeah. Have a, so do you have one other thing to say? Oh, no, 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 I,
1: please go ahead. Yeah.
0: Okay. So here's, now you're working with roughly 150 B2, B2B tech GTM. Tell me again what GTM is growth. Uh, go to market. Yeah. Go to same, market teams.
1: For Yeah. For sales teams. Okay.
0: What are, what are, You currently, what are some of the challenges or the biggest challenges that you see that the leaders out there are facing with this kind of turn and burn? Like what's happening? Because technology, you see it changing. Economics, it is what it is after COVID, right? We're kind of still rebounding. What do you see are the biggest challenges?
1: Yeah, I see, uh, the biggest challenge is it, it, at least when you're looking specifically at the tech at the, uh, at the sector that, that we serve, which is B2B technology companies. You know, these, these companies by and large, um, COVID was for most of them, you know, really huge boon. You know, a lot of the tech companies really took off after COVID due to all the, you know, the, the second and third order knock on effects from the, uh, from the pandemic and, you know, that party sort of started winding down around Q2 of 2022. And now you look here halfway through 2023, you know, the economic environment again, specifically within the tech sector is just miles away from what it was, uh, just, uh, just a year ago and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, so what a lot of leaders are dealing with right now, number one, uh, reduce resources, right? A lot of companies that are venture back specifically have had to go a long way towards cutting their budget. As a result of that, leaders have had to make some really tough staffing decisions to your point a few months ago. They've had to cut a whole lot of staff across the board. The result of that, you know, one thing that we see leaders really struggling with right now, and and it ties into, you know, to the stat that you read off at the top, 55% of sellers not feeling confident enough that they have the skills to do their job. There's a level of cynicism across sales teams right now that um, number one, they're saying like, hey... I'm not getting the support, the training that I need. And number two, for the past two years, you've been telling us all, all of the other employees that we're kind of like a family here. You know, that's one of the big allure of joining one of these tech companies is, you know, they seemingly invest a lot in in the culture and, you know, building up this sort of team and family mentality. But now a lot of the sales teams are looking back. It's like, we just laid off half of our family. You know, two months ago, and you said that that was going to be the only time that it happened. But then a month later, you laid off a couple more. And I can't pull up LinkedIn without seeing other people, people that I know, friends of mine that work for other organizations that said, Oh, yeah, we're one big family here. Now they're getting in by layoffs. So long winded way of saying that there's this really uh, pervasive level of cynicism across salespeople right now in general. It's like, okay, well, you know, what am I doing here? And I think that's why you see this rise of. Uh, individual contributors taking on what they call side hustles, right? You know, they work their W-2 40-hour week job, but then they also start, you know, some of their own businesses, their own companies on the side, just as a, a sort of a preventative measure in case they are impacted by, you know, further economic uh, uh, economic environments.
0: What can organizations do? That right. Like wh- when you go in and you help these organizations, how do they retain the best of the best? Because here's, here's my thought as you were describing that. If I'm a high performer and I see people getting laid off, I'm thinking. What if what if this firm goes under? What if they continue to cut? And you know what what's my longevity here? I know I'm good. I'm going to take my skills and I'm going to go elsewhere where I can make more money, have more security, perhaps, depending on where I am in my career. So what can these organizations do? To I I don't know. I might be off base with that assumption there.
1: No, no, you're you're, you're not at all. You're you're right on right on target. What can organizations do? What we see a lot of organizations doing um is just redefining what the term culture means mm-hmm. you know a few years ago when people talked about culture what they in their minds what they thought they were talking about was free lunches you know like hey you know you could bring your dog to the office and, and, and all that good stuff you know all, all that warm fuzzy stuff um you know not only has just the you know the, the entire employee experience shifted with covid and now Many of us operating in this either completely remote or fully hybrid environment that has resulted in leaders again redefining. Okay, what does it mean to build a positive culture within the organization? And again, tying all uh, tying all this back to the top of our conversation, that fifty five percent number. That's where a lot of really great leaders are doubling down. They're focusing on. Okay, you are the the, the team that we have right now. We want to make sure that we're actually investing in you, in your personal development, your professional development. And we want to do so with the understanding that you that you might not want to work here forever. That's fine. Our responsibility as leaders is to make you as successful as possible while having as enjoyable of a time as possible, and prepare you for whatever you want to do next in your career, whether that's a year from now, three years from now, ten years from now, whatever it is. Just taking sort of a completely different mindset mindset shift on what it means to build culture and build development within the sales
0: organization. And I I think that's important because what's in it for me, me as the employee, what's in it for me as the employer, but there has to be this, um, Combinate, you know, when things are good, everything's great. Hunky dory. We don't have to look and discern what, what's the next move or what do I need to do differently? And when things start to go in the crapper, that's when we have to refocus and say, whoa, that's not working anymore. Again, based on things that are beyond our control, COVID, all these other things we're talking about. So, you know, what is that? What does that shift look like? It's funny. My older son. Uh, got hired by a company. And, uh, when he was hired, it was one day a week that he had a commute. It's about an hour commute, an hour and 20 minutes and then four hours at home, which was ideal. He's like, Oh, this is great. I don't mind coming in. I like seeing the people and all of that. Um, now because they're paying for this real estate, they're like, wait a minute. What are we doing? You have to come in three days a week. So you see the hybrid, even though they hired and, and he's, Oh, it's going to cost me get dude. Deal with it. Like we used to commute to New York, an hour and a half commute each way for five days a week. Like deal, with, and he, of course, you know that initial. Well, that's not what I was hired for. Things change, and you, as an employee, they're promoting you. They're giving you all these things because you're showing up for them. By the way, you got to keep doing. It. It's not like I did it last week. I don't have to do it this week. You have to do it all the time. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that that is something that that we hear a lot. It's uh, you know, I. I hate to paint with broad brushstrokes, but it, it, it's a it's a butting of the headset at, at a generational level. Because, yeah, it, you know, it, it, as you said, you know, folks like uh folks like yourself, folks like me, you know, we're used to going into the office five days a week. Or, you know, when I first started, my career is six days. a week. You know, We went in on Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon to make, you know, 300 cold calls on Saturday. Exactly. So it was, yeah, because it was a good opportunity to, to catch people on the weekend. Um, I think that what you saw, especially right post-pandemic, was you know the pendulum swing all the way over to the other side, yeah. um, benefiting the employee rather than the employer. And that's when you saw really inflated salaries, really inflated benefits. You know, inflated using you know sort of a, a, a general term. And now that again the economy has shifted, the pendulum is sort of swinging back the other way, and we seem to be in this position right now where employers and employees they're really trying to figure out like, okay, what does that equilibrium look like? Um, and some of it will include, unfortunately, a leader saying like, hey, yeah, not only have we invested in this real estate, which we kind of want to make good use of, but also we truly do believe that people are going to be more productive. They are going to um, build and foster a, a much healthier culture if we actually see each other in person, not necessarily every day, but maybe at a regular cadence, right? And, you know, I'm not... I'm not advocating or disadvocating for, you know, for that mindset, but I'm sharing, you know, what a lot of leaders truly do believe right now. And that's why they're trying to make this poll to get some of these employees like your son back to the office.
0: And here's the reality. The statistics are showing that being in the office two to three days a week productivity actually is higher than working five days a week remotely within an organization. So the stats are proving what these leaders are trying to create. But, you know, and, and me having kids, Matt, that are, you know, they're just starting their career, trying to tell them nothing stays the same. You have a choice through, throughout all of this. You can choose to stay and say, all right, this makes sense to me. I understand why they're doing it. I can deal with it, whatever, right? i like the people I work with. I like the job. Or you know what? I didn't love the job to begin with. Now I hate this. Well, then look for another job, right? The choice is always our own. But I think we feel stuck sometimes and you should never feel stuck. So the, the pendulums move, like yeah. deal with it. We have to figure out how to deal with it. I have another question. I love that the the thought and I I find this with my clients as well. They are Really invested into their employees because they believe that if they have happy employees, educated and refined and skilled employees, the client relation, whatever, whether it's B2B, B2C, doesn't matter. It's, it becomes more, um, dynamic. And now we, now we're creating a client culture, a client journey culture, if you will, where the employee is a key component to, you know, that whatever that process is. So my clients are, that's why I work with my clients because they believe in their employees. On the flip side though, how do individual contributors develop themselves to to meet those those employers halfway that believe in their development and committed to their development and spending money on their development? You know, how do we maximize that trajectory, if you will?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a fantastic question. I think um, off the top of my head, it, it'd be a couple of things. Number one, Level of self introspection on, you know, from the standpoint of the individual contributor, what he or she is good at is not good at. What are the areas of opportunity for improvement? And then number two, um, just a sense of ownership, ownership of your own professional development. I mean, being able again to be as interesting as the word might sound confident enough to raise your hand like 55% of these salespeople did and be like, I'm not getting enough help over here. Yeah. Right. You know, I think especially in the sales world, folks like you and I know, you know, we, we tend to by and large, you know, maybe have inflated egos. You know, we think maybe a little bit too highly of our like, oh no, no, no. We we've been in the business for a couple of years, we know exactly what we're doing, having that level of self-introspection where you could identify your own area of opportunities for improvement. Yeah. That's going to be step one. Um, and then, you know, I really love what, what you spoke to, uh, a moment ago. And it ties back to that quote that you mentioned that the, the Mark Hunter quote at the very top of the conversation, just this concept of number one, being able to manage change effectively. Um, you know, if you take a look again, just from 2020 up until now, we're halfway through 2023. We here again in the ecosystem, the technology ecosystem that we serve, we've seen four different economies over the past three years, you know, we saw COVID hit, everything shut down, you know, and then things start opening up and then we start going to the moon. And then about a year ago, it's like, okay, well now things are taking a nosedive and Silicon Valley bank and bank runs and everything's like, wow, everything's crashing again. Now we're heading back on the upswing. So that's like four economic cycles, just within the span of two and a half years, that's a lot of change for someone to be able to deal with. So being able to manage That type of change, um, while also, again, having that level of self-introspection and taking ownership of your own professional development, that's really how you're going to be successful, number one, which is being a uh, a successful individual contributor or leader in general. But really to answer your question, finding a way to sort of meet those employers that, that you might be working with halfway, so to speak.
0: And you know what I find, Matt, with the execs I deal with? They see it. They appreciate it. And they'll double down on that employee because they're like, oh, they get it. They're meeting me halfway. And 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 again, I'll just share my son just, you know, because this is relevant to the conversation. He'd like to get into sales. He's in, in a medical company and he'd like to get into the medical sales. So uh, we have a friend down the shore. Uh, we have a house on the Jersey Shore. And, and the, the gentleman across the lagoon was in medical sales, now retired. So my son was down. I said, You go over and pick his brain. You know he'll help you. And they had this beautiful, I mean, he gave him like two hours of his time, which was so generous. And my he said to my son, learn the products. Even though you're on the customer success side, you want to get in, learn the products on your time. So that employer, they're opening doors for you. They're committing to you because he's such a hard worker and he's he's doing so many good things for the company. He said, Learn the product knowledge and he goes and take your mother's class. And and so I'm giggling because I'm like talking, you know, on the side, I'm like, Tell them that, right? Because I'm the parent. What do I know? He's doing that. But see, the employer sees that and they keep opening more doors for him. They keep giving him these wonderful promotions. He's earning it. But they're they're meeting him more than halfway. And every time it happens, I say, do you see why you did this? They met you more than halfway. They're seeing you. They're appreciating you. They're doubling down on you. You double down back on them. And you create this beautiful harmony within the organization based on the control you have, which for him is to learn the product knowledge and, you know, perhaps take my class, whatever it is. But does that make sense for what you're seeing as well?
1: It it, it does. And well, two things there. number one, um, you know, it's just a a testament to, again, going back to self-introspection and um, taking a level of ownership that uh, that your son has, right? So, so kudos to, uh, to you and to him. Um, but also kudos to his employer, right? Because we know that a lot of leaders, and, and I think that you spoke to this a few moments ago, some of them, I mean, you know, maybe inadvertently, they, they sort of take a blind eye to to that level of effort, right? And all they're looking at is just metrics, right? All they're looking at results, pipeline, revenue generated, whatever the case may be. Um, I personally, I've always been the type of person I like to think that that always keeps, you know, at least one eye focused on, okay, what is going to be the potential of this person, even if the results aren't exactly what we want right now. That's right. If you could see somebody, you know, that is going out of his or her way, you know, putting in the extra effort, again, taking that level of ownership within the, their own personal and professional development. I mean, that's always something that, you know, it sounds like your son's employer is doing, you know, they want to celebrate and they want to elevate those individuals.
0: And, and here's the thing. And people that know me, I say this all the time, Behaviors drive numbers. Sometimes in sales, and look, I, 40 years in sales, I get it. We have to look at measurement. We have to look at number. We have to look at the results because what's the time? What's the process? Is it, is it increasing, right? The revenue on the back end? We have to look at numbers. But when it comes to individuals, I can't coach or grow a number. I have to look at the behaviors. Where are their strengths? How do I leverage that? And then what, are, what do I stack on top of that to build that skill? And behaviors drive the numbers for the organization, but we have to own. Own, our own behaviors too, so it becomes this again that dynamic. So here's my next question: Should leaders, you know, the people listening, should they be responsible for the development of their teams, like we're talking about, as you know, the accountability piece? But how do they create that dynamic? Like the bosses that my son reports to, so they're freaking amazing. I have to tell you, Matt, and I keep telling them, this is not normal. <laughs> this is not what I've seen through my career. So really embrace these leaders that you've been privileged to work with and the opportunities they're pro- providing. Because you know it's his first real his first real job. What does he know? I'm telling him these people are really on your side. But is it the responsibility of the organization or the leader uh, within the organization?
1: It, it is. I mean, I, and I feel strongly about this. And you know, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think that. Um, anybody that's in a leadership position and might have a leadership title that, that doesn't look at the importance of the development, again, personal and professional of the folks who they are charged with leading that way. Um, I don't think that they deserve to be leaders. I think that they're probably, again, in the leadership role, uh, by mistake, you know, for, for the lack of a better term, because that is, you know, at at the end of the day, when you think about what are the, the responsibilities, of a leader. Again, I know that there is traditionally a much more older school metric where it is, you know, Jack Welchian, you know, all about the metrics and just the bottom line and cut the, you know, the the bottom 20%. You know, we, we've been talking a lot about studies and stats during this conversation. I think a lot of the, the more recent and relevant studies show that again, you know, focusing on developing your individuals, the, the or I'm sorry, the individuals on your team as people. Right. And really doubling down on focusing on um, improving their skills. You know, you mentioned before, behaviors drive results. What drives behaviors? Investing in skills, skills development. Right. So they could start, you know, be more natural and more consistent in the behaviors of positive behaviors that they take day to day. So not only do leaders have a responsibility, I like to think, to promote and um, develop their teams in this way, but they're really just missing the boat financially speaking. Um, you know, when you look at ROI for their organization, if they're not looking at things in that manner.
0: Yeah. And, and all that soft skills, <laughs> but the soft skills is what brings revenue in. If somebody d- can't build rapport, but they know their product knowledge and their presentations are spot on, but they don't listen to the client you're leaving money on the table. Like now, can we teach that to someone? Yes. It's a blind spot. People don't know what their blind spots are. I remember I had one, uh, I don't work with this organization anymore, but I ask the executives to always come through. You should see what I'm teaching. You have to chime in what I'm teaching to reinforce it. And then, oh, by the way, when, you know, Joe Schmo says, Oh, I didn't learn that. You say, yeah, I know you learned it because I went through the training. Right. So it's just an accountability all the way around. And one CEO said to me, I was talking about uh, different personality styles and how some people might need a little fear of change. They might need a week to come on board with the change. They get there. They just need a little bit of, of percolation time, right? Where they can think about it. Or other people, you tell them that five minutes later, they're executing different people. You have to, you have to treat them differently. And he said to me, now he's the CEO, right? He goes, here's my, here's my feeling. I'm not coddling anyone. He said, I, you're training them. After the training, they better execute. And I didn't go back to that organization because for me, that wasn't my ideal client because I thought, oh, I'm not saying coddle anybody. We have to hold people accountable. You're spending money on them. Yeah, but you got to give people their own space to be able to grow and learn. And by you understanding that, giving them that space, we speed up the whole process. So but, but that's an, another important piece of the puzzle, I think, too, is they're not earning a bazillion dollars. You know, you have people that are are new to sales, right, with their base salary of fifty thousand dollars. And you're telling well, you're trained. You should be earning a million now. That That's just ignorance, I, I think, from a leadership perspective.
1: No, I I would agree. And like we spoke about a few minutes ago, redefining what the term culture means. I think that there needs to be a redefining what the term training means. You know, when we you know, what you just laid out in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's not training, that's um educating on the product. Right, you know, and, and sure, that is unfortunately what a lot of organizations still rely on. It's like, all right, let's teach you more and more about the bells and whistles of our product. Um, going back to the term that you used before, soft skills, when I think about training and a big part of what we do with the companies that we work with day to day is if you're an account executive, how do we teach how to be a better storyteller, right? You know, how do we teach and be better at negotiation, right? You know, again, some of those things that a lot of these companies, they just kind of let fall by the wayside because they do truly believe um, wrongfully, in my opinion, that like, no, let's just teach you to talk about our product more. That's not what buyers potential buyers of your product want, that's not what's going to get them, but you being an effective storyteller so that you could put your prospect in a position where they could actually see themselves using your product and getting some sort of benefit out. That's what's going to make a top performing sales rep.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, I say this all the time too, I go into organizations and they say, oh, we need to teach product knowledge. And then I get, I say, I want to meet your people and we'll talk to your people. And they're like, oh yeah, I've been here 20 years. And they start talking about their products into the most minutiae of detail. I think, why are they talking about product knowledge? That is not the problem here. It's Fear of being too pushy, fear of I've been here 20 years and I know the customers, if I start asking questions now, they're going to think I'm being intrusive and I might run into them at shop rate or Food Store, you know, when I go. So that's the the issue, not the product knowledge. So, again, I think sometimes we're so far Remove from what's going on in the trenches that we, we can't always identify clearly what the true problem is. And that's why people like you and I, thank God, you know, we have a, we have a living because we understand both sides of the coin, if you will. What, what do you think? We're almost out of time, but what do you think are the essential skills? for, and I'm going to ask this maybe in two parts, but for me, the salesperson, what are some of the essential skills? And then the flip side, how about for the leaders as well? Because I think if we can discern or or define that, now we have people meeting in the middle and that's to me where we, we can catapult results, right?
1: Yeah. Um For the salesperson, I'm going to I'm going to sort of, um, I'm going to throw out two skills that, that I think if I had to choose two I think would be critical. Number one, I mentioned it before, storytelling, um, because again, it's not about selling your product. It is about solving a problem, right? And the best way to convey that you're going to be able to solve somebody's problem is through effective storytelling. And number two, and this is really a lost art these days, but fortunately we are seeing more and more companies begin to train their team on them, is improv. Right. Just being able to, to, to go back and forth in conversations with people on the spot. We see a lot of really successful companies. They double down on improv training for their sales team, just giving them the opportunity to be able to think on their feet, to handle objections in, you know, more effective and efficient manner. Um, those would be the two that, that I would, that I would, uh, push on the, the sales reps themselves from a leadership perspective.
0: Yeah.
1: The one I would think and you know, I'm not sure if this is something that you could train on. It is something you could be mindful of and hopefully develop at least a little bit would be empathy, right? You know, just being able to, to constantly have a good understanding of uh, number one, how your team is feeling and therefore by extension, number two, how you're going to be able to be most supportive of them and their personal professional growth.
0: Which is funny because Matt, right? Leaders feel if they show, show that emotional, intelligent, vulnerable side that it's a sign of weakness, where actually it's a sign of, of people saying, oh, I'm going to work harder for them yeah. because they understand almost the soul level of what that CEO or that, that executive leader is trying to do for the team, for the organization, whatever it might be. It humanizes the process. So my example before that particular CEO had very low emotional intelligence and he didn't care. And that doesn't work for me as the vendor because what ultimately would come, come down to, I wasn't the problem. He probably was the problem culturally within that organization. And then it's, well, her training doesn't work. Her, her, uh, cult consulting didn't work. And that's, that's not, I won't take on that responsibility because it's not my crap. It's his crap that he was dealing with. So it's just interesting. The other thing I just wanted to comment when we were talking about, um, the individual, you know, that, that skill development of, and what were the two, again, you said, I want to make sure I hit on the right one.
1: Yeah. uh, Storytelling and improv.
0: The improv uh, storytelling is critical. We could tell a story and the client in front of us, it fast forwards the understanding and becomes very efficient with our conversation with the sales conversation. So the stories can fast forward the understanding in this case of the client or the potential client. The other piece of that is the improv. I know I do that a lot. And I, when I coach my, my leaders right after the training, cause you want the the training to stick, there has to be a coaching yeah. component. And I say to them, like walk into the, the office or whoever and say, okay, I'm Joe Schmo and here's, and throw out the scenario and just play. And because it's safe, it becomes a safe environment. You know what, that you're coaching that person, you know, what, what, Skill they're working on or trying to develop, right? You don't want to do 20 things at once. What's that one skill that we can hone? Play with it in that safe environment and do that improv. And the other thing in training, I do it all the time. Somebody will say, give me an objection. And I go, okay, I'm going to be the customer with that objection. Let's play with it. And they go. Oh. I go, it's safe. There's no right or wrong. Let's just play with it. It's a great objection. Come on. And you giggle and you laugh. And by the end, they go, oh, I love that answer. We, <laughs> you get there. It's through playing and experimentation. There's no. There's not one way to do everything. There's multiple ways. And when we start dissecting that through that improv, I love that. I think that's important, but the employee has to embrace it and go, Oh, I can't do that. Sure. You can. It's safe play, right? You'd rather play not in front of the customer and make mistakes if you can. Right.
1: Yeah. Just get all get all your mistakes out of the way behind the scenes so that you don't make any, or at least you mitigate the amount that you're the, the, uh, the number that you would potentially make when you're sitting across the table from a prospect when it really matters.
0: And one other thing for the employee to meet the leader or the employer halfway I say this all the time, when you're in a situation and it's an epic fail, don't judge yourself, don't be harsh on yourself, learn from it, go back and really analyze yourself. Why were you off? Why were you on? If you were really, really good, duplicate that. If you were really, really bad, why, where did you falter? And then go back to your coach and say, this was an epic fail. This is what happened. Can we play through this? Can we talk through this? Can we strategize through this? Because I never want to do that again. You're meeting the leader halfway from a coaching perspective because you're buying into the whole process as well. That's when change happens so radically and so fast that we can, change the trajectory of the revenue, right?
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, I love it. Um, really quick, Matt, just tell everybody, I'm going to give all of your credentials and you have a free gift. Um, tell everybody what the free gift is and what your organization kind of does at you know that broad stroke. So they, they, I want them to log in and get your free gift so that they can follow you and really get a vibe of who you are, um, kind of test you, if you will. So if you could do that for us.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. So Sales Assembly, we do um, a lot of what we've been talking about today, skill development for the sales and the customer success and account management teams of B2B technology companies. So we work with small companies, big companies like LinkedIn and Intuit training their AEs on how to be better storytellers, how to be better at negotiation, or training their account managers on how to be better at forming customer relationships um and yeah by going to uh to the website linkedin uh, in the show notes you'd actually get a complimentary overview of our platform actually access to some clips of some of the skill development sessions and the different peer groups we're big into peer-to-peer learning that we provide throughout the week um yeah so we encourage everyone to uh, to take a look and check it out and if you're on linkedin to uh, connect with me on linkedin so that we could hopefully strike up a conversation sometime soon
0: I love it. And if you have a question, um, please email Matt directly. It's Matt at salesassembly.com. The website, salesassembly.com. This will all be in the show notes back linked for you to um, reach Matt directly. And the free gift is salesassembly.com slash tour, which gives you all of that training and stuff um, as well. And Matt, you know what, if you send me your LinkedIn, I'll add that link as well. So people can find you super easy um, on LinkedIn because you post a lot lot of good stuff on there as well. And they, it, again, it's just people trusting us um, by getting to know us. And that's why these podcasts are so, I think, um, helpful because they kind of can listen to you, re-listen to you, you know, get on your email list, see what you're all about and say, Hey, I really think this guy is the, I'm a tech company. I think this guy's got the right philosophy that we're looking to, uh, bring in. So again, I, I wish you success with that. And, um, I, I will post all of that on the show notes for everyone so that you guys can, uh, you know, get to Matt directly. Um, anything else, Matt, before we sign off, uh, today?
1: Um, no, just thank you again, Connie, for, uh, for having me on, for inviting me to be a part of this and for the great conversation. This was, yeah, yeah, this was fantastic.
0: Back at you. Thank you so much. Um, Again, philosophically, I think we're, we're so much the same and you know, the stories and the stats you shared with me, it blew my mind. I have to be honest. I was like, wow, I got, I like, I got to share this because it's just that valid and important for everybody in our world. Again, it doesn't matter what industry you're in sales and sales leadership is leadership. Let's make sure that we're doing the right behaviors so that we can work smarter and not harder. We're all working way too hard. Let's simplify a little bit, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Thank you again, my friend, for being on. Uh, truly appreciate it. And I hope you will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together, no matter where you are on your journey of change within your sales game, whatever that means to you. Um, I truly hope that my guests and I provide some really good information, good insights, good strategies, tips, ideas, resources like Matt's free gifts. Um, if you're a team leader, please check it out so that you might be able to help um, your employees grow as well. So information's a beautiful thing. If we do nothing with it, it's just information. Once we start applying it, magic really starts cr- cr- being created within ourselves or organizations, and we all start making a lot more money. For me, that means we could serve bigger and do better things out in the world. Um, thank you again for uh, tuning in. Thank you again, Matt, for being such a great gra- guest. You've been listening to changing the sales game with me, your host Connie Whitman on webtalkradio.com. I truly wish you an inspired week. Please pick something, make a choice. Pick something that Matt shared today, implement it into your personal life, your leadership style, whatever it is. And I promise you magic happens on the back ends. Action is where the action is or where the reaction is. Um, so again, have an inspired week. Do something differently. I love you all and I'll see you next week. Have a great one, everybody. Bye.
1: Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with your friends. Tune in every week for more exciting insights and strategies on increasing your business's ROI. And always remember, lead with heart and your sales will follow.